All right. Um, we are, my name is Justin, one of the teachers and, and elders here at Peninsula Grace, and um, been a blast walking through the book of Matthew together, We're just going verse by verse uh, through the book, and we're in Matthew chapter 7 today, and we're going to be looking at kingdom relationships, kingdom relationships. I had my uh, left hip replaced on January 30th, that's why I'm going to be putting it down on the stool here for right now, but one of the cool side perks was on the way home, the Alaska Airlines gave me a wheelchair all throughout all the airports, and this was awesome. Uh, I had the wind in my hair, right? I'm just cruising. I barely had to do anything like security line. They took care of it all. I just sat there. It was beautiful. Then they'd ask you on the way. They treated you like royalty. Would you like to go to the bathroom, sir, before you get to your stop? Would you like something to eat? I felt like a king. I said, yes, and get something nice for the lady as well, right? And that's kind of, <laughs> Jill's like rolling her eyes. Oh, my goodness. And I, I was loving it. But it was interesting to watch people watch me. They had no idea why I was in a wheelchair, what was going on. And I saw kind of four main reactions. There was the avoider. That, that this just kind of freaked them out. Somebody in a wheelchair, it's kind of put them in a category. We don't know. They're avoiding eye contact, right? They don't want any interaction with me, kind of like avoiding me like the coronavirus, right? They don't want anything to do with me. Second one, overcompensator. Okay, classic. They would, oh, hi. Welcome aboard. Would you like help with your complimentary beverage? And I'm like, it's my leg that's wrong. Nothing's wrong with my arm, pool. Like, what are you, flight attendants, crazy. And then there was the doubting Thomas, right? The one that goes, look at you, you're 35, look how buff you are, why do you need to be, you should be bench pressing a wheelchair, not being pushed around, and I get that all the time, and then there's my favorite, where they just simply treated me like a normal person, they just looked me in the eyeball and said hello, treated me like any of the other passengers, that, that was my favorite one, now these people didn't know me from Adam, they don't know my situation, right, they don't know what's going on underneath the mesh shorts, they can't see the, the scars, the bruising, they don't know the history of pain, that everything that led up to that moment, they don't know what's going on, on the inside. And in this section, Jesus' sermon, he's going to address how we treat others. And to not make assumptions. And to not treat with condemnation. And to not interact hypocritically. In fact, he's going to call us to treat other people the way we want to be treated. As he talks about the golden rule. We've been talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given. This is the second to last week of, of our walk through that sermon. And we're answering the question that Jesus poses is, what does it mean to live rightly as a citizen of God's kingdom? He's come to announce this kingdom on earth. He's the king, and he says, this is what it's going to look like to live in my kingdom. And what we've even seen Jesus address again and again is this idea that this is not just about the outward action, but I'm, I'm, what I'm concerned about is the inward heart. Jesus says, I'm not just looking for you to, to do the externals and go to church and put money in the offering plate and don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang out with girls that do. What I'm looking for is a changed heart. And as your heart changes, if I change your heart, then yes, the outward will change as well. But there's something deeper here I'm calling you to. Last week we saw, he talked about our relationship with our stuff. He said, don't worry about the temporary stuff. All it does is, it lead, when you pursue that stuff, it just leads to anxiety. It just leads to worry. But he said, he said pursue, pursue God in his way, the things that last forever, and you're going to find rest and joy there. This week, he's going to talk about the way that we interact with other people around us, how the kingdom citizens interact with one another. And what's interesting is that ultimately, he's going to show us, stems back to how we relate to the king himself. And so today's aim, I believe, in Matthew, what he's trying to tell us in these first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 7 is, don't pretend to be God. 
Number two, let God be God. And then number three, be like him. You're not him, but we are to become like him. So let's look at this together, Matthew 7. First of all, don't pretend to be God. Verse 1 opens with these two words, judge not. Now we have to be careful because the way our culture, our culture would love these first two words, right? We live in an, an era where there's this concept of don't judge me. Do, do not, and, but what, what we, what our culture means today by that is that there's just core of this universal, you do you. You speak, live your truth, who am I? Like no one can ever speak into anybody's life, however you live, whatever you believe, that's cool. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. As we read, and this is just general literary um, wisdom, word meanings are shaped by their context. And what I mean by that, so if I said the word gas, well, what's the context? Well, I, I could be referring to the fuel you put in your car. I could also be referring to the funny smell that Grandpa just made. <laughs> and it looks like he's delighted to have made that. Um, the context determines. And so when we use the word judgment, well, what's the context? Now, the word judge, judge can mean to discern or evaluate. Now, that's a good thing, right? Like, with walking around, I'm off my cane this week, but I still have to be careful as I walk up and down the steps. Like, I took the first step a little too fast on the way up here. As I'm walking around the ice, there's a discernment and evaluation of where I'm walking, how big my steps need to be. That's a good thing. In fact, Jesus is going to call us 15 verses later. He says, there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And you, need to, you will know a tree by its fruit. That's discerning language. That's evaluating language. And he's not saying you never address stuff in people's life. There is a standard of truth, and we're called to call people out. He, in Matthew 18, he's going to say, confront other people in their sin. That's certainly not what Jesus is trying to communicate. But the context of the word he's using here is the idea of condemnation. It's one that, that looks down on somebody, that seeks to tear them apart, to punish them, to criticize them. He says, we are never called to condemn in that spirit, that we are not placing ourselves as ultimate judge over that person, slamming the gavel down and saying, you're guilty. So how do we approach sinners then? How do we approach other people? There are three principles that I see from our text this morning. The first one is, do not approach others with an all-knowing condemnation. Do not approach others with an all-knowing condemnation. There was a guy in church one Sunday who could not have looked less interested to be here. I don't know if you guys know this or not. You can see me. I can also see you. I know, that's crazy. And so I'm watching, and this guy's looking at the floor, he's looking at his phone, he's looking all over the place, everywhere else but, but me. And I'm thinking, okay, I get this guy, right? Girl drug him to church, football season's over, no more excuses, right? Gotta come. But I know his heart hates Jesus, hates me, going straight to hell, right? <laughs> I'm judging as I'm preaching. I don't know. That's a leather level of repentance. Uh, but we'll just, let's just be real. So um, later that day, later that day, I get a phone call from this guy. He says, man, I just want to let you know how, how much your message spoke to me. I'd like to get together for lunch and talk a little bit more about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, on the way home, my girl was whacking me, going, man, why did you look so angry and disinterested? said I wasn't. I was looking down so I could concentrate, so I could focus on the words that were saying, that were being said. But what did I do there? I totally judged this guy. I didn't. I, the, just like my wheelchair experience, I made assumptions based on an outward appearance as though I knew his heart, as though I knew his motives. That I had any idea where he was in his life, and I threw down the gavel and said, guilty. 
What am I doing in that? I'm pretending to be God. God's the only one who sees everything, who knows everything. He's the only one that knows our heart, knows our motives. And by the way, even if you're right on something, it's also pretending to be God to set yourself up as the ultimate one in their lives who gets to decide right or wrong and the punishment thereof. And this is why Jesus calls these people in this passage hypocrites. It literally means a play actor, one who's pretending, wearing a mask or a disguise. He says, you are not God. And why does he say don't judge like this? He says, judge not, verse 1, that you be not judged. For, verse 2, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. I think Jesus is saying here, if, if that person is condemned by the real judge that you're pretending to be, aren't you condemned for that as well? Because we'll see in the next point, we got the same exact issues that they do. We do not approach them with an all-knowing condemnation, but then secondly, we don't approach them hypocritically. He says in verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Oh, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite actor, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is using some humor here. Where he's saying, man, you got this tree trunk. It's an exaggeration, right, of course. And what he's saying is, man, from our standpoint, we, we should understand we're judging people and we got the same issues. And because it's our issue, it's way more severe. I might be pointing them out because they got some toilet paper on their shoe, but I just pooped myself, right? I have no idea if I can say pooped myself in church, but <laughs> I'll get an e email from the elders. Let me know one way or the other. Um, what? <laughs> Why do, why do we do this? Why do we judge people this way? I think there's a, I know in my heart, I do this all the time, but it's, it's way more subtle, way more subtle. Um, I think a couple of reasons. One, it might, it might be pride. See, if I put other, other people down, in contrast, I'm putting myself up in, in a better light. Now, we usually don't do this blatantly, like we're pointing at the person, thou art condemned and I am better than thee, right? No, we usually don't talk like we're in King James world. But what am, I do, what, am I subtly, what am I subtly doing in my heart when I, I roll my eye at somebody with a little bit of a smirk? Or isn't it such low-hanging fruit? We'll be gathered around the water cooler at work or talking with some people. And how easy it is to drift toward the, talking about the person who isn't there and talking about you know, how interesting they are, kind of how weird they are, different. Or, wow, why'd they do that? And slowly we're, we're exalting ourselves into a cooler, better light than that person. It also, it may, it may be guilt, it might be, it might be the motivation, that, that I know sometimes I can find satisfaction in condemning someone else in something that I am refusing to identify in my own life. I think I find myself think, thinking to Jill sometimes, like, why are you getting so easily frustrated? Be patient like me, like, you know, and you see exactly what you're doing, right? But Charles Price said it this way, we often dislike most in others what is true of ourselves. Now, that's scary, because I know some of the things that I despise in other people. And so maybe if you can't stand that person for their arrogance, or their greed, or their pettiness, I might have the exact same thing going on in my heart. And because, why do we do that? Well, we get what they're doing, right? We understand them. And so either on a, a conscious level, or sometimes even a subconscious level, 
we're just despising our own behavior that we're either refusing to deal with in our own life or are, don't know how to deal with. So we'll just condemn them, right? It's, just, it's a symptom of our own guilt. So, so how do we approach other people? Well, the principle here is do approach others with humble discernment. Humble discernment. Three things under this. First, first of all, deal with your own junk. Deal with your own junk, or as Jesus says it in the ESV. First, take the log out of your own eye. Now notice here, he does not say never address the speck. He says you first deal with the log, and then we'll talk about the speck. See, if we're going to approach someone correctly and not hypocritically, we have to examine our own lives first. So so if I'm going to approach somebody about some pride that I might see or or think I see in their life, i got to first ask my own heart before the Lord, now where am I seeing pride in my own life? And part of this, brothers and sisters, involves us giving other people in our lives permission to point out logs. How many times we've got something on our face or in our eye, we, we don't see it, someone else can point it out to us. So I want to give permission to Jill to point those things out. i got two guys I meet with every Wednesday morning. That's a lot of what we're doing. Brother, I love you. Have you, have you seen this? Do you think you might be struggling with this? We need this. Then secondly, use gentle inspection. Inspection. Look, look at what he says. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when I have something in my eye, like I'm not, I can't see anything, right? I, I'm, I'm just kind of thumbing around in the dark. There's no way if I've got something clogging up my own heart that I can see accurately. So removing the log helps me see them clearly and approach them in the right way. Now, how would I want to be approached? <laughs> We're going to tell us at the end of this section, the golden rule. How would I want someone to approach me? I don't want them coming at me with a shot back going, let's get that thing out of your eye, man. No, I don't want, I want them coming with a tissue, right? Let's get it gently. Let's just, and even then I'm like, no, no, I don't want it. Like we don't, we don't, we want them to, it's a sensitive thing, right? When something's in our eye, we need gentleness. That's what Galatians 6, Paul speaks to the same thing. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin and he doesn't say, hey, they do them, right? Their truth. No, what does he say? You who are godly, you who will approach them the way God would approach them, should gently, the tissue, not the shot back, and humbly, because we know we got logs in our own eyes, help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. We're asking ourselves, am I struggling with these same areas that they are? And, And notice here, Jesus uses the word brother In this passage in Matthew 5, Paul uses brother, sister in Galatians 6. In fact, every time Jesus talks about confronting, he uses this language. So important for us to see that there's a relationship here. This is family. There's trust. There's care involved in our approaching them, which leads us to the the final principle, to perform a motive check. Before you come to somebody, stop and ask yourself, why am I approaching this person? Is it an attempt to tear them down or to build them up? Am I just wanting them to feel the shame of being wrong and I get the satisfaction of being right? Or do I actually, in love, want to help free them from their sin? Do I want to help get them back on the right track and patiently and humbly walk the road with them toward restoration? Or find out I was all wrong in the first place and something I thought they were dealing with, it wasn't even true. Come asking questions. Don't make assumptions. 
Taryn Mays of the Village Church, uh, she says that we all, we tend to fall on one or two sides when it comes to our temperaments and how we approach people. Now, I find, I think we all probably go back and forth in, in these two categories, but we tend to go one way or the other. Um, some of us do not want to confront ever, right? We don't want to rock the boat. We want to, we, we like to fancy, and I'm, I'm more in this category. We like to fancy ourselves because we always see ourselves in the best light. We're the peacekeepers, right? That's what we're doing. But really, oftentimes, the motivation is fear. We're, we're being cowardly or people pleasers. And so we avoid confrontation, and we either downplay the sin. Oh, it's not that bad. I'll go off the responsibility. Well, hey, that's, that's their deal. It's who am I to speak into their life? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, speak the truth. We have an obligation. It can actually be loved. Somebody's hurtling toward a cliff. It's not loved. Well, I don't want to step on their toes. But then there's the other side. There's some people who love to confront, right? Here, my Lord, send me. They love telling people, what's up? And then they like to fancy themselves as the straight shooters, right? Just telling it like it is. But really, they're delivering. Even if it is true, the delivery is one that is brutal and harsh and kind or unkind and cruel, <laughs> We've got to finish Paul's phrase. He says, speak the truth in love, in a motivation, a gentle, humble heart. He says, I want to help you. I don't want to hurt you. Jesus is teaching here that kingdom citizens, they don't get to play the part of God. And we're not to judge other people harshly, to punish or condemn. And why? What's at the heart of that? Because, man, that's not how we were treated. While we were in our sins, God came and he extended mercy and grace and forgiveness through the cross of Jesus when we were entirely undeserving. So who are we to treat people any differently? And Jesus is our model. Read Jesus' words. He did not shy away from addressing sin in people's lives. But he also said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And that's the judge talking. He's warning us here against a condemning spirit. Here's what happens. The more we see logs in our own eyes, how much more gently are we going to approach other people when we see how much we have been forgiven by God through Jesus? That's the same forgiveness will begin to extend to other people. Again, Taryn Mays said it well. She said, the extent to which we harshly judge others reveals our own lack of understanding of our salvation. Jesus is not saying, do not, just be blind to sin, never speak in other people's lives. He's, this is a plea to be gentle and loving when we do so. And he seems to take a sharp left turn in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, we don't have time to do this verse justice, and, and quite frankly, it's, it's a little unclear to me what exactly Jesus is saying. Seems like in some ways he's being a hypocrite, right? He said, don't judge, and now he's going, dogs and pigs. What, what is Jesus trying to communicate? Well, we know in their culture, um, dogs and pigs were the dirty, the despised. They were unclean animals, and some would say this is a continuation of the way that a hypocrite would see somebody else and look down on them. Others would say this pearl, this gospel, the pearl of great price, as Jesus will say elsewhere, is not to be, not to be given to somebody if they're not receiving it. If they're rejecting it, don't 
can try to force it down their throats if it's not going to be useful to them. Either way, we know that Jesus is not saying here, don't preach the gospel to unbelievers. That's not pearls before swine. If you read the gospels, that is why Jesus came. What he is calling us, I think, here is the general principle of use discernment. Know your audience. And that's all we have time for on that one. The second point, the first one is don't pretend to be God. The second one is let God be God. That, that role is taken. This is in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this, this is a cool promise. But what, what exactly is the context, and how do, how do we apply this? Because if, what we don't want to do is just see God as a genie without a wish restriction, Right? And it's just whatever you want. You want a million dollars? Poof! You want six-pack abs? All right, you know? It's the old song you hear, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? And if we just kind of sang that song, and poof, like if you don't have a Benz out there, you, you have little faith, right? We know that's not what God is, is saying. But what about when we ask for something good? When we ask for something that seems to align with his heart, in the words of the Rolling Stones, can't always get what you want. Sometimes not getting what we ask for is a great thing. Sometimes the answer that we receive is no. And the reason this is good, it, it turns out that, that I'm not God. Now I know that's not going to really set any of you back. But think about all the things that I don't know, that I don't see, that I don't understand. Again, I'm not, I'm not him. And so there are times when I ask for something that to me seems like a good request. But maybe he's saying not right now, or maybe, Justin, you have no idea the ripple effect of what's going on here. And when he allows these bad things to happen, we have to trust to let God be God. But what he is saying here, the, Jesus is being adamant here. Ask your father for these things. Come to him. And once again, he paints him as a father. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? Right, I love that word picture. Dad, can I have some salmon? And he throws a cobra at him. Like, that's not, that father needs to be, you know, we need to report him to OCS immediately. Verse 11, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask them? So my brother, he likes to fancy himself as a tough guy, a macho guy. And he is in most areas of his life, I think. But when it comes to his five-year-old son, Ray, he is as soft as Santa's belly. He, 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 I'll give you anything you want, you perfect angel. It's disgusting, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's ridiculous. He delights in giving Ray stuff. Now, as a father, he's learning. I can't give him everything he wants. That's actually not best for him. But Jesus is saying, if, if you who are evil, you you earthly fathers, and if you know how to give good stuff, how much more our God, in whom there is no darkness at all, how much more will he give when we ask good things? And what did we just say about last week? Our daily bread, like literally food, clothing, but then also all the things we need for life and godliness. What about this context right here? How do I approach this person? God, I need your wisdom. I need your discernment. I don't see things perfectly here. Help me know when to speak and when to listen, how to approach them. Robbie and Kara in this season, Lord, do we go to Palmer? 
Pastor, we stay here. We don't, we don't see things like you see them. Lead us and guide us for your name's sake. And the emphasis here is not on the ability of the asker. Like if we say the right words, we can manipulate God into doing what we want. Or if you ask enough times, he already warned against vain repetition. But the emphasis here is entirely on the character of who our God is. A good, loving Father. So why is it that we don't ask? Why so often is that my last place to go is to ask God? Sometimes it's a lack of faith that we don't trust him to provide or we don't believe he's for us. I think sometimes also it can, it can be this idea of, of pride that does not want to ask for handouts, right? I think it's a lot of our fleshly pride that opposes the grace of God to begin with because it puts me as the, as the one who's needy and I'm asking for him something that I don't have on my own. And oftentimes we go, man, I'm just, I'm just some nobody. God is running the universe. He doesn't have time for me. But here's the beautiful truth today. There's nothing too insignificant or paltry that you would have to bring to your father that he wouldn't want to hear. It's, it's Ray running into my, my brother's bedroom. He says, I want to hear every little thing that you did today, son. That's fascinating. I love that you picked your nose 18 times. Wow. I love this picture of, of JFK when there's two little ones. Can you imagine as a president, you got a lot of things going on. But you can see in this guy's eyes, he's putting the Middle East on hold if one of the little ones runs into the room, wants to show him the picture that they drew that morning, or asks him for a popsicle. He's, God looks at us, he says, you're my child. I'm never too busy for you. By the way, I'm a great multitasker. I'm running the universe, but I'm all powerful and all knowing. I, I can handle this. I want you to ask, and I want you to give me good things. Let me be God in your life. The journey Robbie's been discovering. It's the journey we're all on. And what takes us into the uh, heart of this summary of this section, and I think of the whole sermon, is this last verse. It's the call to be like him. So we're not him. We let him be him, but we are called to represent and reflect his character. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Why? For this is the law and the prophets. What does that mean? This is amazing. Jesus summarizes the entire Old Testament in one sentence. It's pretty good. Because remember, the law and the prophets was referring to the Old Testament, what we have today as our Old Testament. That was the Jewish scripture at the time. And what Jesus is saying here is everything God told you to do is summed up in this, what we've come to call the, the golden rule. And I think Jesus is summarizing the entire sermon. Connects us back to chapter 5. Remember when he said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? This is, this is the goal of where everything's going. Now, Jesus is doing something very subtle here, but it's, it's so brilliant. This is a common saying at the time. Even those outside of the Jewish faith, Confucius, we have a lot of people quoting something, but it's a little bit different. And, and the, the Jewish uh, group of, of teachers rabbis, they had a, a collection of sayings they called the Talmud. And this, this is mentioned in the Talmud. It, it says it this way, but see if you can see the subtle difference. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbors, for this is the whole Torah, the, the, their scripture. The rest is commentary. Now, what's the difference? The Talmud spin is the negative. What you don't want to be done to you, don't do it to others. Where Jesus flips that on his head and he says, what you do want to be done to you, do that to other people. And again, this is, this is the heart of what he's getting at. Not just the external, don't do the bad things, but the internal, do the good things. So you think about, like, if you're on the road, 
the negative side is like don't speed. So as long as you're going the speed limit and have your seatbelt on or staying in your lane, like you're, you're driving right. But Jesus says, no, I'm taking it to a whole nother level. And if you see someone broken down on the side of the road, how would you feel if it's mid-January in Alaska and you got you and your couple kids and you're freezing to death? What would you want that person to do that just drove by you? That's what he's calling us to. Not just the external. Remember, he said the law is don't murder. Don't commit adultery. But that doesn't mean that you're living rightly. He's looking at the heart, saying, do the most good possible. Because think about us. Like, if you had a wish list of how people treated you, like, that'd be fun to think about, right? That's how you want to treat other people. This is love. This is love. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, this truth settles a hundred different points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. So what he's saying here, we don't need a new law, Right? We don't need a, a hundred different, hundreds of different laws to talk about. He says, if you're doing this, if you're treating other people the way you want to be treated, you're not going to murder them, right? Is anybody of us like, I can't wait to be murdered today, right? Of course not. I can't wait for my, my spouse to cheat on me. If, if, you, if you wouldn't want that done to you, don't do it to them. This is love. And again, Jesus' sermon is brilliantly summarizing Jesus, God's heart for us. Remember, that's our purpose to have a relationship with God, to be like him, to bear his image, to rule and reign in this kingdom with God. And so Jesus isn't just simply saying, whatever you want, uh, treat other people this way because that's how you want to be treated. This isn't primarily selfish. Like, this is what you want, so do it together. He's saying, treat other people this way because this is your father's heart for you. This is how he treated you. This is how he treats you. You have a loving father who who is not going to throw snakes and stones at you, but he wants to give you good sustenance. This is a loving father who wants to open the door when you knock and let him run around his Oval Office and give you good, good gifts. The reason we love, Jesus is saying, is because he first loved us. That's his heart for us. That's to become our heart toward other people. So, you think about your life, who, who do you need to stop judging hypocritically? And, and maybe you haven't said a word, but in your own heart, in your own mind, which Jesus is getting at the heart, who are we being so harsh with, criticizing, condemning, ripping them apart, whether or not they have any idea? So imagine that person, uh, picture in your mind's eye, the person right now that you have the hardest time getting along with. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a, somebody at work, it's election year, maybe it's somebody on the, on the wrong side of the political divide for you. And Jesus here, he says, it's not just to treat them rightly means don't murder them. Hopefully you all are doing good on that one. He's saying, would you be willing to shovel their driveway in January? Would you be willing to donate an organ to them? In fact, would you lay down your life for them? And I got a couple people in my life right now that I'd have a hard time honestly saying yes to those things. And I could come back at God and go, why should I do that? Do you have any idea how they've been treating me? Do you have any idea? Time and time again, I've put myself out there and they're spitting in my face. Why should I do anything good for them? And he points me to the cross. He says, don't you get it? And those people who were nailing Jesus to the cross, those are the very people he was dying for. Don't you get it? 
You rebelled against me. You spat in my face. You walked away from me time and time and time again. And Jesus, to his enemies, while we were still sinners, did the most good possible. He gave us his life. That's his heart for us. That's God's heart for you. And because of that, Jesus said, I came to give you a, a new heart, and it's a heart that beats the same way my Father does for you. It's how I want you to treat other people. You know, love them, especially the ones that you have a hard time looking at. And next week, he's going to conclude this greatest sermon of all time with some challenging words. I want to prepare our hearts for that. Would you pray with me? Father, I know, I know in my heart, uh, it's, a, it's a convicting message to, be, to hear Jesus' words and to think about some of the petty things that I condemn other people for and the ways that I just totally think I know what's going on behind their ears as, as if it's my job to make these kind of judgments on them in the first place. It's not a humble heart. It does not reflect Christ. Father, I have a suspicion I'm not the only one in the room struggling with those things. And as you've called us to be salt and light in this world, it starts with the way we take care of family. And our greatest evidence to the world is going to be the way we love one another, the brothers and sisters that Jesus talks about in this passage. Pray that you would cultivate in us a heart that first and foremost understands God's love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us, that he would give his life for us, he would do the most good possible for the least deserving, and that's me. And the new heart and new life that he gave me, he says, go out and do likewise. That we would become the kind of people that forgive, that approach gently and humbly, that are willing, some of us in this room today need to be willing to say the bold thing, say the hard thing, confront when we want no part of a difficult conversation. And some of us have got to realize our words have been absolutely destructive. And we need to ask for some forgiveness today. Father, that we would become the kind of community that treats others the way we would be treated to show the world the Jesus that lives in our hearts, that more people might come to know him and follow him and, and run into your Oval Office and know the Father's heart for us. It's in your beautiful loving name that we pray. Amen.